Amen. Good morning, everyone. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. That's great. Isn't that good? Three weeks in and a happy church. So uh, we're just going to build on that. So those of you that didn't clap can uh, hopefully... Uh, no, I'm only joking. You just didn't think I meant it, did you? Um, so habits of happiness. I don't know if kind of like me, you always felt like happy just always feels like a bit of a, a shallow um, word. And yet, no matter how shallow it might feel, we all want to be it, don't we? Yeah? And, um, and, uh, and, and I guess as I prepared, I, I was always kind of like placing other words in the place of the word happiness. Like joyful and content and satisfied. Because kind of, yeah, sometimes happy does feel a bit too shallow for some of the stuff we go through, doesn't it? And yet we know that we can be joyful, content and satisfied as well as happy as we go through life. I was also thinking a little bit about happiness and a bit about success. And in some ways, kind of this could have been called habits uh, for success, um, but that would have made us sound like a kind of American kind of uh, prosperity church, and we, you know, really, really wouldn't want to be that, even though we do believe in prosperity in all areas. Um, the truth is that success, true success, will always have happiness and joy and contentedness and satisfaction attached to it. True success. Because the reality is you could earn a million pounds and you could think you've been successful. But if you aren't happy with your million pounds, you really are not successful in life. I think true success, and I think actually one of the great things about this as we try and be a church for kind of everyone in society, it means that even if you're out of work, you can still be a success. Even if you're struggling with a lifelong illness, you can still be a success according to what the Bible teaches us and tells us if we can have this thing of happiness, contentedness and joy completely nailed. <clears throat> there are certain qualities that we're kind of we're learning kind of over over these few years that there are certain qualities that if we can add them into our lives even though times we'll have to walk through difficult circumstances, that actually it will lead to happiness and contentedness. Let's just kind of like, a lot of them are obvious. By the way, if some of these things that we've been preaching over these last few weeks, like, oh yeah, that's obvious. Well, I'm glad it's obvious, because that means you got it and you're putting it into practice, which is brilliant. But don't presume that everyone's got this, and as a church, we've all got, always got new people joining us. Um, many who perhaps don't know God, and so that's so good. But let's just kind of like just see how, how awake you are. Right? You, you've either got to shout out happy or unhappy as to whether you think if you have this in your life, you will be happy or unhappy. Okay. Impatience. Ooh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's good. Kindness. Arrogance. Oh dear. <laughs> we or some of us break the mold. Um, Considerate, careless, courageous. Oh, you are good. Yeah, well done. You kind of kind of see. Yeah, there is some stuff, and and in in many ways, it's kind of it's fairly straightforward. But how can we take these things? Even if you think, yeah, totally, I've got a lot of these things nailed. I would I would challenge you that there is something more that you can get out of as we work through this book of Philippians that can take you to a different level of happiness, contentedness, and joy. And so what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at a passage, and we're really going to be looking at kind of some of the stuff uh, that Paul says about two men that have worked with him in the gospel. Timothy, we all know how to spell Timothy, don't we? And Epaphroditus. 
Not so much. And it's kind of from Philippians chapter 2. There's a few verses, though, that kind of come before this, which I just want to read out to begin with. And it says this. It's from Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. We could stop the sermon there, couldn't we, really, and just pray about that one. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. In fact, can we have the kids back in? Um, So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And really, some of these habits that we're going to be looking at this morning, they will help you to do everything without grumbling or arguing. And as as we kind of like take these habits that we're learning over kind of quite a few different weeks, if we have them and we apply them in our lives, we will somehow become children of God without fault when none of us are ever going to be perfect. Even the Pope acknowledges he's not perfect at last, praise God. Yeah? But children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation, that we might shine among our generation like stars in the sky. So let's get into the kind of the text that we're going to be really kind of drawing out of. So it says this. It's going to be up on the screen, kind of like quite a... um, I didn't go on to the the rest of that. It kind of takes a bit too much explanation. I don't really have time for that. So if we have the next screen, that would be great. So... This is what Paul, Paul, Paul says. So just before I read this out, just so you kind of understand this, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, basically this is a kind of a thank you letter from Paul to the Philippian church. Yeah, we've all been forced to sit and write thank you letters by our parents, haven't we? Um, torturous event that happened those few days after Christmas or our birthday. This is a thank you letter. The Philippian church, which is a church that Paul started, they'd heard that Paul was kind of in jail. He was in a mess when you're in jail. Just like in many other countries, you don't get brought meals and stuff. You have to have family and friends bring you meals in. And the Philippian church had basically sent um, what you might kind of call a care package um, kind of to Paul to take care of him and look after him. And Epaphroditus was actually the guy that took um, the care package to him. And so he's kind of writing to the Philippian church, say thank you, and just update them on some stuff. This is what he says. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Timothy was a guy that worked really, really closely with Paul. Um, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Timothy's going to come and meet you. He's going to come back. He's going to bring me news. I'm going to be all cheered and happy. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, because he's been bragging on him before, you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Then he goes on to say, But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, i.e. you sent him, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and he is distressed because you heard he was ill, Indeed, he was ill and he almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Next one. Therefore, 
I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. I'm going to draw three points out of this that we're going to see from Timothy and Epaphroditus as Paul talks about them that we kind of can take as kind of habits for happiness that we might be able to um, kind of uh, put them in place in our lives or develop them further in our lives so that we might have a greater degree of joy, contentedness, happiness. Here they are. Number one, be caring and considerate. Number two, be cooperative. And number three, be courageous. And because they all start with the same letter, you've got more chance of remembering them. So as you sit down to your Sunday dinner, say, what was the second one? And what, was, what were any of them? Um, as you try and remember them. And God, maybe just shoot a prayer up in your heart. God, would you, uh, would you maybe nail me on one of these? Would you maybe kind of challenge me on one of these? That I might grow in one of these areas, if not all three. So, remind you, the background, Paul's in prison in Rome. He's written a letter to the church that he started. He's waiting to appeal his execution. And here we have Epaphroditus and Timothy being talked about. Now, in some ways, at first glance, this passage doesn't look like a very, very deep passage. It's basically kind of like, oh, I've got Timothy. Timothy's amazing. I'm going to send you Timothy so he can come back and cheer me up. And I've got Epaphroditus. You guys are legends for sending me Epaphroditus. He totally met my needs. I'm going to send him back to you because he's been unwell and unhappy that you thought he was unwell. And I'm going to send him back to you as well. It's almost a bit like, okay, so, so what's helpful there? What do we take from that? There's quite a few things that we can kind of say. Firstly, Paul talks um, about Timothy. And he says, I've got no one else like him. That's quite a thing, isn't it? You've got Paul. Paul the apostle. Paul the the guy is probably kind of after Jesus. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) After Jesus has probably had the biggest impact for the gospel in all of history, closely followed by Rob and Jane. And uh, now I know I knew you'd shake your heads at that. No, I'm only joking. You're fifth. Um, <laughs> he's just getting going. Um, I've got no one else like him. So be caring and considerate. And what this means is we have to learn to shift the focus away from ourselves. Paul says this, I have no one else like him. Does he go on to say this guy does amazing miracles and supernatural stuff? Well, he probably did as well. Does he go on to say this guy is an amazing speaker? Well, he probably was a pretty good speaker. There's plenty of biblical evidence for that. Now, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests but not those of Jesus Christ. Everyone looks out for their own interests. Don't we live in a culture and a society that often looks out for their own interests? And the consistent message of the Bible 
is for deep joy and for deep happiness and for deep contentedness is you have to be a person who shifts the focus away from themselves. You have to be a person who is caring and considerate. He also goes on to say and talks about Epaphroditus. Clearly, Epaphroditus is very caring and considerate because he's just traveled 800 miles, likely lots of it by foot. He's almost died in the process so that he can take a care package to Paul. But what's quite amazing here, as you kind of go on and look in verse 25 and 26, is I think it's necessary to send Epaphroditus back to you, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, for he longs for all of you. And is distressed because you heard he was ill. And right here we kind of see everybody being caring and considerate for each other. You've got the Philippian church being caring and considerate about Paul. So much so that they all club together. Yeah, They all cooked a load of casseroles. And they put them on a probably not. Put them on a Paphroditus' back and sent him 800 miles. So they're being caring and considerate. Epaphroditus is being caring and considerate towards Paul because he's prepared to make the journey. He turns up, but he gets ill on the way and almost dies as a result. Then the Philippian church are worried and concerned about Epaphroditus, that he's not very well and he might die, understandably. As is Paul. Paul's really concerned about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is concerned that the Philippian church is concerned about him. You know, he's like, he's like oh no, they've heard I'm ill. Ah, what, what are they going to be thinking? They're going to be thinking that I'm, a, you know. And then Paul's concerned, Epaphroditus is concerned, that the Philippian church is concerned about Epaphroditus being ill because Epaphroditus went to see, help Paul. There's a lot of care and consideration kind of going on kind of here. And uh, this is why it's helpful sometimes to unpack the scriptures. We could have just read all over that and we'd have missed it, wouldn't we? But here we see a, some people, a church, and some individuals that were just being caring and considerate. As Paul says, they're not just looking out for their own interests. But they're looking out of the interests of Jesus Christ. And what is the number one interest of Jesus Christ? Well, it's people, isn't it? That is his key interest. That is, that is Jesus Christ's number one interest, is people. And he says, Timothy looks out. For the number one interest of Jesus Christ for people. And we see that Epaphroditus does it as well. What might our society be like if we were more like that? Now as a church, kind of, we always have more that we can do. As a church, we have a great heart for those in need. What about you individually? What about you personally? What would our streets look like if we bothered that bit more with our neighbours when they're in need? What would our society be a bit more be, be like if the young took greater care of the elderly? What might it look like? What might your life look like? What might our society look like if the sick were more likely to be cared for? And visited. You know, when you hear of people, particularly the elderly, who often can be a very, very forgotten people group in our society. When you hear about the loneliness and what would it look like? What would Timothy have done? What would Epaphrodite have done? What, what would these guys have done? Well, it suggests here that they would have had a care beyond themselves and they would have cared for others. 
Now, what is amazing as a habit of happiness is that when you do this stuff, when you choose to live beyond yourself, you choose to care for somebody else, it really does make a genuine difference. Now, in all of this, it's kind of, it's kind of a bit awkward because you kind of want to share some personal examples where you might think you're kind of boasting and this and that. But I know, for it, without a shadow of that, there are people in our church who do so much more than me about caring for others and all of that sort of stuff. I really do. But when the Spirit prompts you to kind of invite that neighbor who you think uh, kind of is lonely, a guy called Eddie down our road, and just seems... He's a lovely, lovely guy. He just seems genuinely lovely. And then, and you just spontaneously react to the Holy Spirit prompts and you say, hey, do you want to come for your Sunday dinner sometime? And, 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 and he does. And I'll tell you what, there's something, I don't know, there's something really joy-giving about doing something like that. There really is. When you put your name down and sign up and, and say, yeah, we will take some meals to Jack and Shirley who are really, really struggling and yeah, it's an extra faff that Josie and I are going to try and do and turn around this weekend in the midst of everything else. But I tell you what, experience tells me that whenever I've bothered to do something like that, there's a glow. It's not a proud glow. It's a glow. It's a glow of God's spirit that kind of says, yeah, that's it. Caring about others, being considerate about others. Even every Tuesday when job club's on. I tell you, every Tuesday at five o'clock, I want to go home. (laughs) I don't want to go. But go, I do. And every Tuesday at about quarter to nine when I'm on my bike going home, there's something that I've, I've, I've given something, but I tell you what, I've been given so much more back. I really, really have. This is a habit of happiness, a habit of joy, a habit of contentedness. You know, there are many, many people in this church who give their time sacrificially for those outside the church and for those inside the church. It says later, it says, honour people like this. I want to honour you today for anything that you do, for you like group leaders that open your homes and maybe kind of take care of a, a little, little flock. Um, you know, just a small thing that you might be able to do here. A small thing. And I realize this is easier for some. Some people maybe struggle with shyness and struggling with talking to new people. But even when you walk into a room, any room, but take this room for example. When you walk into this room on a Sunday morning, or even as we finish the service, ask yourself a question. So rather than it just being about you, ask yourself a question. Is there someone in this room that I can be a blessing to? Is there someone in this room that maybe needs a chat? or a smile, or a hug, or an offer for prayer, or anything like that. If, if, if more people did that, be it walking into a room like this, be it walking down our street later on today, God, show me where I might be able to live beyond myself, that I might be able to be less self-focused and more focused on others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.33, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. He goes on to say, so that they may be saved. Absolutely, we want people to come to Christ. But I'm not just talking about doing good purely for that. We do good because we love people. Yeah? We share our faith because we want them to come to know him. And we hope that will happen. So number one, be caring, be considerate. 
Shift the focus from yourself. Number two, learn how to cooperate or how to work with others. We see here, we see in Timothy and Epaphroditus, two people who have learned what it is to cooperate and to get on and to work well with people. And this, it again, is a habit of happiness. Timothy has learned the skill of being a team member, the skill of being a team player, the skill of being um, part of a fellowship. He's learned the skill of collaboration. And has anyone ever worked with someone who's a pain to get on with? <laughs> the the mm, <laughs> that flowed for me. Do they tend to be happy people? Not often. Not often. People that are difficult to work with often have something deeper inside them that actually is an unhappiness that they haven't been able to truly deal with. Which suggests that if we can learn to cooperate, we can also bring happiness into our lives. It says this about Timothy. As a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And that's partly because Paul saw um, uh, Timothy as his son in the Lord. But it's also because very much so back then, the son used to follow the father in their trade. You know, that used to happen. You know, Peter and, and Andrew and James and, and, and John, they were following their father's trade, becoming fishermen. Jesus followed his father's trade to become a carpenter. That was the normal thing. That was what you did. They had, didn't have careers fair, career fairs back then. It was like, what does dad do? That's what I'm doing. Okay? He's learned to do that. And then he goes on and talks about Epaphroditus. When he says I think it's necessary, who does he describe Epaphroditus as? So this guy has literally just turned up to bring him a care package. He stayed for a little bit. He describes him as, as my brother, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier. These are two guys who learn what it is to cooperate. And learn that actually in cooperating and working well together, that is where we find joy. It's where we find happiness. You know, if you haven't noticed, most of the world is... A bit different to you. Yeah? Okay? Now, there might be some things that you have in common. You might be same gender, you might be same ethnicity, but even so, you are unique. You have all your unique foibles, and so does everybody else you're going to work with. So does everybody else you're going to be part of a light group with, everybody else you're going to serve with in a church setting or a non church setting. They're going to be different. And so, learning how to get along, how to cooperate, is so important. I love how he refers to Epaphroditus here. My brother, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier. And uh, when Rick Warren spoke on this, he referred, to, he referred to these three things as, this shows that life is a family, a fellowship, and a fight. Of the alliteration. He's my brother. Go back. He's my brother. He, this, is, this is a family. This is a family. And, and as a church, this is a family. It's the, the light groups that you're part of. That is a family. We are to be family with one another. There are 133 references in the Bible about the word family and how, it's, how the church and family are kind of synonymous. It talks about fellowship. Fellowship, fellow working, my co-worker. This is something we're going to be in together. We're going to do it together. We've been given the same job, which is to, to shine like stars in this 
kind of challenging generation in which we live. And then he goes on to say, and it's also a fight. He is my fellow soldier. He is my fellow soldier. This isn't about fighting against people. This is, this is about kind of fighting against kind of like spiritual powers and the powers that war against kind of us in our life. When someone has to battle cancer, depression, unemployment, debt, God needs us to be cooperating. He needs us to be fighting well together. He needs us to be kind of in fellow working, fellowshipping together. He needs us to be family together. If we learn to do this, this brings happiness and joy and contentedness into our lives. Now, the reality is in the church particularly, he's very much referring to church here. In church, Sunday morning doesn't require a great deal of cooperation. Okay? It might, it, it might do in certain settings, but in most settings, Sunday morning doesn't require a great deal of cooperation. But I tell you, when you're serving in a ministry, so maybe the kids' workers that are working through there, maybe when the, the kind of food bank staff and volunteers are working together, they need some cooperation. When you run a, a light group, you need that cooperation because, because that is church. And we need to learn how to cooperate. Yes, totally true in a work setting, also true in a church setting. So what does that mean for you? Are you easy to get along with? You probably can't answer that question very well. Maybe ask somebody else. Okay? Ask somebody else. Am I easy to get along with? When I went through my three points with Josie and I said cooperate, she laughed in my face. <laughs> Maybe I'm not always easy to get along with. Do you want to know? I want to know. Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Okay, what do you need to do? You need to ask someone. Okay? And if there's even a slight hint, you've got some work to do. Okay? Because they probably won't be brave enough to just tell you, yeah, you are actually quite difficult to get on with at times. Maybe you should say, is there any particular area that I could improve on so that I could get on with people better? We could probably almost all of us be nailed on this, apart from maybe a few people that are just so lovely. It says this in Matthew 5.9, in the message version, it says, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're happy, you know, joy, when you can show people how to cooperate. I think the Christians that work across this city should be the ones who set the highest bar. We, we're not, but we should be the ones who set the highest bar so that we can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's what this prayer for Bradford thing over these last 24 hours has been. Cooperate instead of competing and fighting. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Third and final point. Be courageous. Live for something worth dying for. Epaphroditus nearly died. Okay? He nearly died. If I just kind of scroll back. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. 
Okay, and, and the general sense is that he almost died because of the long journey that he was doing. Because of the challenges that he went through, that he contracted some kind of illness, and on his way there, he almost died. That was almost the end of him. And Paul was like, this would have been sorrow upon sorrow for me. Not only am I in prison and it's rubbish, but you know, the care package gets lost, and I lose a, a, a guy who was going to become um, a dear friend. He had volunteered. He had said, an 800-mile journey that is going to be dangerous with potentially robbers and, and this and that and bad weather and kind of, I will go. I will be the man because I have found something that is worth dying for. It says that he risked his life. And the Greek word for risk is actually the word, um, kind of, it almost means he hazards his life. And it was used back then as a gambling term. Epaphroditus gambled his life. He gambled his life to believe that God might use him. It's Robin Jane step into Nepal. They hazard their freedom. Which means we should all be praying for them. They hazard their freedom. Who wants to go on a trip with them? <laughs> Maybe Kenya. Slightly safer. Slightly. Yeah, I did say slightly. I did say slightly. I'm aware of the. Is your commitment to Christ deep enough to cause you to take risks? To be courageous? And you know, one thing that's really important about this, when I talk about kind of giving your life, is, you know, living your life something worth dying for, this doesn't just mean Christian ministry. Really, really, really important that you hear this. Okay? This is being courageous enough to follow the call that God has given you for your life. Okay? So important. It may be that he has a call that demands many, many hours of you, as I know some of you in this room will struggle with. And yet you're courageous enough to follow him in that call. Maybe in the health professions, maybe in education. You're courageous enough to go there. It might be courageously choosing not to have paid employment so that you can care for someone in need. Be there for your family. It may be that you courageously risk being judged by society for being a full-time woman leader in industry or education. Because we know still today that you can be judged for that stuff. It's so important that we don't just see this as Christian ministry because wherever you are, wherever you are, you are a minister of the gospel. And not just when you tell people about Jesus. When you do a great job, wherever it might be. When you lead that classroom well. When you contribute well at that council meeting. Whatever it might be. You are a minister of the gospel. Have you found something that's worth giving it all up for, basically? That's worth sacrificing it for? And are you prepared to take some risks? And for those of us, many of us, who maybe can find some extra time 
to do stuff that is kind of very, very obviously, intentionally mission-focused? Do you take a risk there? Do you take a risk to share your faith? Do you take a risk to step out and pray for someone's healing? Amazing, just amazing testimony that Josie brought home from Friday in food bank of a lady who turned up and she had no feeling in her feet, hadn't had for three years. Her feet were really, really, really white because there was literally no circulation or anything flowing. And she prayed for her. It wasn't particularly a faith-filled prayer, was it? It was just a, oh God, will you please turn up and do something kind of prayer? We've all prayed them probably. And just prayed the prayer, moved on, and suddenly this woman was distracted, distracted, distracted. She's like, what's going on? And she's like, I can feel my feet. I can feel my feet. And, and she looked down. This wasn't, just, this wasn't just something going on in the lady's head. The, her feet had become pink, kind of like with blood flowing into. That's courageous. Because, let's be honest, we don't know whether God's going to turn up and do something in any situation, do we? That is courageous, putting our life and our faith on the line. And out of courage comes happiness. Yeah? Epaphroditus will have learned one of the habits of happiness by being a brave soldier. Some of you have, you've chosen not to go for that higher paid job so you can be a better parent. You've chosen not to go for that higher paid job so you can follow the call that God has placed on your life. You've chosen to give a few hours up to volunteer. Being courageous. Because Jesus says in Mark 8.35, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So I don't know which one God spoke to you about. Maybe all three. You've got a lot of work to process that. But we've just had the final slide. You want to be happy? Be caring and considerate to others. Be cooperative. Learn to be a great team player, a great member of the church family, to get on well, choose to get on well and demonstrate it to the world. And finally, do something courageous. Don't live a mediocre life. Live a life full of risk and bravery and courage. It will pay you back. Thank you. Fantastic.